Um, I'm going to invite Afi up, and he's, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with us to Matthew chapter uh, 20, verse, uh, verse 28, 29, somewhere in that part of the Bible. Come on up, Afi. Let's, uh, let's. So this morning, uh, a Bible reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, uh, from verse 29 to 34. And it reads, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. May the Lord bless the reason of his word in Jesus' name. Thanks, brother. Thank you, and good morning again. I'm so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, and I uh, want a special shout-out to Ken and Carolyn Benson, two of our global workers who are here today. They're back there. Stand up, you guys. Welcome. They're, uh, they work with Mission Prep preparing uh, global outreach workers to go and do their work around the world, have an amazing impact. Fantastic. They're going to be with us next week sharing. So uh, they're around this week, and uh, it's so glad. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, Ken and Carolyn. Can we give it up for them one more time? Awesome. Ken was one of my high school teachers, and he has information about my life that I don't want you to know. So just maybe you shouldn't get to know him as well as I want you to. I feel conflicted. Um, I'm a little excited about this service this morning because at the end of our message, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we often do here at Hillside. And as we do on some occasions today, some of our elders and prayer team are going to be standing along the back, and they're going to be ready to receive and, and hear your prayer requests. And I hope this morning that you will be bold. If you've got a need, you've got a desire, you've got a problem there's something going on in your life or in the life of someone you know, uh, it's so good to pray and receive prayer. Uh, Jesus said, when two or three pray together and agree in my name, it shall be done. And so that's one of the reasons why we believe praying together and receiving prayer is sometimes better than you just kind of, you know, gutting it out yourself with God. It's, it's something to be shared. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Um, one of my long-term mentors, as many of you would know, is Dallas Willard. He was such an amazing Christian uh, thinker and, and philosopher and uh, disciple of Jesus. There are um, literally hundreds of things from Dallas Willard that will change your life if you can understand what he says. He's actually too smart for some people, maybe a little too smart for me. But here's one that's changed me and changed the way I think about the Christian life and the way I pray. Dallas uh, broadened my understanding of what grace is. 
I, I grew up with this idea, uh, grace was kind of defined as God's undeserved or unmerited favor. And, and that is true. It is that. This isn't wrong. It just doesn't go far enough. Willard says grace includes this, but more it's actually God moving in your life to accomplish what you could not accomplish on your own. He says this, he says, sinners use some grace and find total forgiveness, but the true saint burns grace like a 747 burns jet fuel. <laughs> that gives you a sense of how hard it is to live the Christian life. We need God's grace to live this life that Jesus is calling us to. But what an image. It makes me long for more of God's grace in my life. And so I don't know this morning where you need more of God's grace today. But today we're going to ask for it. Amen? This is what uh, is in our text this morning. Really, this passage we just heard is about receiving grace from, from God. It's a story of two men, two blind men, men who are poor, they're blind, they're powerless, and they not only receive grace from God, but they kind of go hard after it. It's as if they are ones who say, if God is really gracious, if if Jesus is really alive and active, if the power of the Holy Spirit is truly available, I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask big. If God is generous with his grace, I am not going to ask him for a thimbleful. I'm going to ask him for a fountainful. <laughs> These were there were hundreds of people that were following along with Jesus that day, but only two guys stand out in that moment as kind of models of apprenticeship, these two blind beggars. Yeah, we pick up the story when Jesus and his followers, this, this mob, are leaving the town of Jericho. Uh, we little, learn a little bit more of this story. It's recorded in both Mark and Luke, but in the Gospel of Mark account, we're told they were on their way from Jericho to Jerusalem. So picture this mob, this entourage around Jesus, all walking together on the road, leaving the city, and there might have been tension in the crowd. Some people might have been on edge on three separate occasions. Jesus has told everyone he's headed to Jerusalem where he will be crucified for the sins of the world. So, so I mean, I, I think people could have been go, going, there's a lot of fear here and uncertainty. What's going to happen? But Jesus has got one thing on his mind, going to Jerusalem, laying down his life, giving his life for the sake of the world, and then being raised to life again. As, uh, as they leave this city, there are two guys, two men beside the roadway. Uh, by the way, both, both Matthew and Luke mention two blind beggars, and Mark only mentions one, but he gives us a name. <laughs> Some of you know the name? Bartimaeus. In fact, I grew up, I don't know, I think there was a song about blind Bartimaeus, but we know one of the guy's names, Bartimaeus. Uh, I suspect we know who he was and know his name because he probably went on, as commentators suggest, to become a leader in the church. Like him, we, we actually know his father's name. So it, it was like his father. It, his encounter was, with Jesus was so profound that he became known in the community that would be named after Jesus. But this would have been a common sight in Jesus' day, two blind men by a roadside. We can kind of, uh, I think, picture this a little bit easily. Think of when you've encountered panhandlers in the city, in, in, in the downtown east side. But, but people with disabilities in that culture, they had no like sort of disability pension. 
They had absolutely no way of making a living. There were no social programs to speak of. The social network in that day was your family. And, and in some cases, a blind person might have been disowned from their family. So those with disabilities like the blind would position themselves by busy streets, hoping that some passerby would show them a little bit of mercy and give them a little bit of coin. We're told they were on the edge of town, which tells us they might have been mistreated. You know, asked, like we've heard about happening in our cities, asked to move away from the city center, move away from the businesses and the markets. So here you have these two blind, poor, marginalized beggars who become the kind of people the Gospels hold up as model disciples. It's kind of great. It says, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Notice that line, when they heard. Uh, now think of that. Here are uh, two, two guys who can't see, but they can hear. And, and maybe they can hear better than most people can hear. This so often happens with people that have some sort of sensory disability. It, it kind of amplifies the rest of their senses, right? It's like any Daredevil fans out there, you know, the Daredevil, you know, this, this guy who loses his sight but ends up having this like supernatural sense and ability and so, fun, so, much, he's so, fun, so much fun. Here's these blind guys. They can't see but they can hear, ironically, as we, might fi- as we find out in a moment, they may be hearing better than those who can see. And just an aside here, I, I think um, sometimes we can think only of the limits of our limitations. Every single one of us have some kind of limits, e- either something you were born with or something that came up, developed along the way, something that maybe you have felt for the longest time, if only I had this and it, it holds you back or it's a, a disability, whatever it might be. Uh, and we think of the limits of that, but there's ways in which our limitations can sometimes actually increase our sensitivity. In some senses, I have sometimes wondered at some of the pain I experienced as a child in my own life. That pain, I think, in many senses pushed me towards God. And I think actually pain and some of our limitations can actually make us better receptors to God's grace, actually, which is really, really cool. Apostle Paul, I think, think, he says, I thank God for this thorn in my flesh that pushes me towards dependency on God. And so I just want to start by asking the question, how has God used your limits in your life to grow you, to make you a better minister to others, to, to grow compassion in you for others who have those limits? Maybe even to get your attention. So these blind men, with their limitations, they hear it's Jesus, but they call out, Lord, Son of David. Now this was no random phrase that Bartimaeus and his friend hollered out. Ever since King David, the Jewish people heard God's promises to send a great deliverer, the Messiah, the Savior. Uh, Jeremiah 23, along with a number of Old Testament passages, spoke of the coming of the son of David. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. 
In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Oh, how they looked forward to that day. The people of Israel, oppressed and, and under the rule of various foreign powers, looked forward to this coming king, this rescuer, this savior. Isaiah 35 pointed to one of his characteristics, the, the merciful son of David. My wife, as you heard this morning, she loves to pray. And this, the content of these verses is the kind of thing that she would often pray from Isaiah. Then will the eyes of the blind be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What a beautiful picture. A great thing to pray, dear. A really great thing to pray. You see, there were wonderful promises of mercy and deliverance and healing at the coming of this son of David. Uh, and these men, given, even though they're blind, they actually are able to, more than most, connect the dots and connect these promises with Jesus. And that's why they're so excited and that's why they're shouting out and interrupting everything. So they cry out, Jesus, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And I want to say this, that is such a great thing to pray. It's, uh, it's one of the oldest prayers. We see it time and time again throughout the Psalms. The church has prayed this throughout history, Lord, have mercy. Uh, in Latin, it's Kyrie eleison. You hear it in all kinds of songs. One of the oldest Christian hymns written in the 4th century by a philosopher named Victorinus who converted to Christianity. He then composed this line that is still sung in many churches around the world today. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy upon us. Um, I got to say when I'm in trouble, I pray this prayer. Uh, it's often the only words I know how to pray when I'm in trouble. Lord, have mercy. When someone I love gets devastating news, I pray this prayer. Lord, have mercy. You know, in my marriage, when we have an argument and we get in this place where it just feels stuck, in the middle of an argument, I don't know if you married folk or you're in a relationship, you, you maybe know this, but you don't see how you could possibly get to the other side of the argument. It feels like this is now going to define the rest of your days. Um, and the Apostle Paul tells us, no, 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 these two are light and momentary troubles. <laughs> Grateful for that. <laughs> but it doesn't feel light and momentary at the time. And oftentimes I'm in that place and I'm like, Lord, have mercy. I, I, when I hear of a world situation, like we hear far too often, and I don't understand it, and I'm often overwhelmed by the things I hear, and I don't know who's right and who's wrong, I, I, I found this prayer to be so helpful. I pray, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on our world, God. It's a great prayer to pray when you're desperate. Some of you would know or remember my dad. Uh, my dad loved to pray. Um, but my dad, one thing about his praying, he always prayed very polite and proper prayers. We used to tease him um, because my dad would pray things like, and I'm talking about family prayer at home with just his family. He was a pastor like me, uh, but I'm not a pastor like him because he would pray like, Lord, we beseech thee. <laughs> and I don't know, I had no idea what beseech meant. Like, like, what does beseech mean? Like, anybody know? I still don't know to this day. I think it means ask, actually. But uh, my dad prayed these proper prayers. He was always very careful with his words. 
I literally don't take after him with that at all. He was careful in his prayers, except for one time that I remember. I've told some of you this story before, but uh, we were, uh, I, I was about middle school, and I was with my mom and dad. We'd gone camping, and we were driving on the 400 highway in Ontario, coming home from about Barrie area. And if you know the 400, some of you know it well, it's like wide as an ocean. It's like 10, 12 lanes wide in places. And we're driving along with tent trailer in tow, and it's dark, it's night, and suddenly the car just lurched to the right, like, like out of the lane, and my dad screamed out at the top of his lungs, Lord, have mercy. It was the, the, the most least unsophisticated prayer he'd ever prayed. I'd ever heard him pray, and he cried it at the top of his lungs. Our, um, our trailer tire had broken off. One of the t- trailer tires, it was just a little tent trailer, and it had broken off, and so the whole trailer lurched to the side and was dragging us into the other lane, and and God heard our prayer. We did not die. I'm here today. The prayer is like that sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and so we don't have the words, just we have the need, and we're desperate, and help us, Jesus. Send mercy. It's a great prayer to pray. So these blind men pray this, have mercy, God. Now imagine if someone started shouting in the middle of our service. Um, actually, you don't have to imagine because this happens with some regularity here at Hillside. Uh, I've often said, ushers, remove that person. No, I don't say that ever. But some of us would be tempted, I think, to do exactly what happens in the story. If someone started shouting, up or making it, shouting out or making a disturbance, we'd maybe shush them. It says that it happened here, verse 31, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Now, uh, this might have even been the disciples because throughout the Gospels, the disciples try to protect Jesus from problem people. <laughs> he was just all, they were always doing this. This happened several times. They thought children were a problem. So it's like, keep the children from Jesus. They, they thought Jesus is really important. What he's about is really important. He's really busy. He's got better things to do. So they'd shush them, keep them quiet. And sadly, this is an old story. This is what people in power tend to do to the powerless. They shush them. You have questions about your faith. Shush. You're abused as a child. Shush. You've experienced racism. Shush. You desperately need money or healing or God's intervention or mercy. Shush. Now, just for some perspective, these guys... um, they might not have been that pleasant to be around. You know, it's quite true that oftentimes the poor don't have access to things like showers, so they might have smelled. Uh, Maybe they were rude or loud. Maybe they were inappropriate or socially marginalized. They're maybe not the kind of people that you would want to invite into your home uh, because of the disruption they would bring. We also probably think that they're religiously on the outside. In that culture, some of the people around, some of the religious folk would have blamed them for their condition. You're suffering? Yeah, it's probably God's punishment, right? You know, so they were not maybe invited to worship services or chosen to serve in the church. They may very well have been a mess in all kinds of ways, but remember, I, I want to propose that they're the model disciples in this passage. I-, I would suggest that most of us have brought into what I'd call the gospel of self-sufficiency, which basically says, I can make it on my own. I can do it myself. 
It's, it's one of the great shadow sides of our individualistic and independent cultures. You know, isolating. Um, or, or we believe in the gospel of self-esteem, which, which can say, if I feel good about myself, I must be okay. Or, or maybe we assume that religion or being religious means getting our act together. And, and until we get it right, God doesn't want us. As, as a result, we live with this kind of fear and insecurity because I don't have my, my spiritual ducks in a row. Or we live with pride and, and self-righteousness. I, I do have my ducks in a row, at least better than most people do. But look at these blind men, these, these model disciples. They're a mess. I would say they don't even have ducks to line up. <laughs> Nearly uh, 1,600 years ago, Augustine read this story, and he commented, he said, the, the helplessness of fallen humanity is seen symbolically in the blindness of these two men. So they have nothing to cover their helplessness, their brokenness. And it reminds us that the message of Jesus is not a message that says, I'm okay, you're okay. The message of Jesus is more a message of, you're a mess, I'm a mess. <laughs> We're in that together. <laughs> I need God. I need grace. When we begin to get that, it can be the start of a, a wonderful revolution in our hearts, and it's the beginning of transformation for us. Um, Christian therapist Mark McGinn tells the following story. He says, young woman I met described her childhood in a home where self-esteem was the primary virtue. Her parents taught her that she was delightful, talented, good-hearted, intelligent, and witty. But as she grew up, she felt that something important was missing from her incubator of childhood self-esteem. Somehow, deep down, she always knew that there was an intrinsic need for healing, an inner darkness, a moral decay, which was also part of her character. As she ventured into the teenage traps of promiscuity and drugs, she felt like an imposter, as if no one could know about her true self or else they would stop loving her. She didn't need another self-esteem button or sticker to wear around the house. What she longed for was authentic awareness of her good and bad qualities and a love that was big enough to embrace her regardless of her sin. When she turned to God as a young adult, she found what she was longing for, one who knew every dark corner of her soul and still offered her love, forgiveness, acceptance, and grace. I'd say we live kind of in a self-esteem culture where we think if we just got that right, if we could just, if we could just create the perfect context for our kids, if we could just make sure they go to the right school, if we if just... Um, can order our lives in such a way that, that you know, they'll never know that they weren't loved. And, and she says our brokenness, she's testifying in the sense that our, our brokenness actually goes deeper than that. <laughs> That's the, the world we live in. But her words remind me of that just amazing definition of the gospel that the late Timothy Keller shared. I've shared it many times. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So you know, the church is actually meant to be one of the few places on the planet where we actually come clean. I, I think AA groups have this down. I think the church has a lot to learn. But this is meant to be the kind of community of the broken. The community of people who are 
like sinners saved by grace. We're, we're meant to have the kind of environment where, where we wouldn't have to pretend or wear a mask or um, look like we have it all together because we are so thoroughly loved and accepted by Jesus. So if you are looking for the, the church that is perfectly together, you've you, you you got to keep on looking, I would say, because you're not going to find it here. This is a fellowship of sinners. We're, we're a company of sinners who, like these blind men, are opening their lives up to the amazing love and grace of Jesus Christ. It's funny, this morning, as we were worshiping this morning, I, I felt um, Jesus told me, told me to tell you something. Tell Hillside that I look at them with love. That was all I told me to tell you. I just didn't want to make sure I missed it at the end with the, the whole service. I wanted to tell God said, I look at you with eyes of love. That's how I see you. His grace is available to us. When I think of our um, prayer time during our communion today, we're actually just seeking in a very intentional way to open our lives up to God's grace and mercy and asking that it might penetrate every crack and corner of our lives, that we would actually receive what he wants to give each of us. There's something, uh, it's pretty surprising about Bartimaeus and his friend. They're a mess, but um, what it doesn't do is shut them up. <laughs> it, it says they were trying to be quieted, but they shout all the louder. All the nice and religious people are saying, quiet, settle down, but they shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And I admire these guys. I, I think they're scrappy. They're persistent to the point of being aggravating. They're like a big dog with a stake in their mouth, and they, their jaws clamp down, and they won't let go of God's grace. Well, what happens next? Two words. Jesus stopped. <laughs> he stopped. That in itself is profound. Jesus, the Son of God, was prepared to be interrupted. But it says, Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. It's a great question. What do you want me to do for you? And then what does he do? I think this is crazy good too. Jesus listened. He waits for their answer. Uh, you know, I have uh, been reading this autobiographical novel by Daniel Nayeri called Everything Sad is Untrue. I actually picked it up because um, I like the title. It's actually uh, stolen from Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. But the book is a story where the author describes fleeing from Iran as a boy to escape persecution because of his Christian faith. Some of you know that story very well, very personally. At one point, uh, Daniel Nayeri asks this question. He says, would you rather have a God who listens or a God who speaks? Be careful of the answer. He says, there are gods all over the world who just want you to express yourself. At their worst, the people who want a God who listens are self-centered. They just want to live in the land of do as you please. And the ones who want a God who speaks can be cruel. They just want law and justice to crush everything. Love is empty without justice. Justice is cruel without love. Oh, and in case it wasn't obvious, the answer is both. God should be both. He's a God who listens. He's a God who speaks. But time and time again, Jesus proves to be a God who listens. He doesn't mind being inconvenienced. People seek him out by the thousands. He never refuses a conversation. The only time Jesus ever silences anyone, quite literally, he says, be quiet. 
and it's a demon. <laughs> Luke 4. Other than that, he's willing to give anyone the time of day. These, these blind men, these, these, in the world's eyes, these nobodies shout to him on a crowded road, and while others you know, scold them to be quiet, Jesus calls them over and he gives them the floor, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And whatever the, the blind men had to say, Jesus was all ears. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. We want to see. We want to be blind no more. What does that tell us? It tells us that they were not afraid to ask big. It tells us they were <laughs> willing to break the bounds of their pattern of asking. Think about it. It's, it's actually more surprising than you think. They were beggars, so they were used to asking for things. But what were they used to asking for? Money, scraps, a little bit of coin. They were not used to asking for big things. They were used to asking small. Money was one thing. This was nothing short of the capacity to see. What does it say to us? It says, no request is too big to bring to God. No need you may have is too big to bring to God. In no way is your situation your problem, your need, your brokenness, your hurt, too big to bring to him, or too small. Some of you need to ask bigger. Some of you have been a little bit more like the beggar, asking for scraps and content with, you know, a, a, a little. And, and I think you need to be praying bigger, bolder prayers. Jesus' description of prayer in Matthew chapter 7 ought to remind us of this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Ask, Jesus says. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and knock. And those prayers will be answered. So what happens next? We're told Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they saw or received their sight and followed him. They ask, and what do they bump right into? The compassion of Jesus. Time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see this time and time again. A person in need reaches out to Jesus. And, in, and what does it say of Jesus? He had compassion on them. Again and again, he responds, he heals, and he restores. And these two blind men, uh, they do what, what I would think in this context the most logical thing. They get up and they follow Jesus. I, it seems to make sense to me just reading it. One, one commentator suggests that their following Jesus was so important that he retitled this passage, not two blind men receive sight, but two blind men follow Jesus. <laughs> and in fact, actually, their receiving sight was way deeper than just being able to see with their eyes. Friends, when we begin to encounter the God who stops, who listens, who hears, who embodies compassion, who's able to heal, who's able to forgive, how can we not follow a God like that? So all this leads to a question, a question of the morning, really, I want to ask it. Do you know what you want this morning? If Jesus were to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? 
what would be your answer? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus, think about this. Jesus is asking. He's ready to listen. I sensed this morning that his ears were turned to you (laughs) and waiting for your answer. What do you want me to do for you? Some of you don't have to think about this. You know in an instant. You know what you like. You like healing from something that's been bothering you for a long time. You want maybe this relationship to be renewed. Um, This grief to be ended. I want a husband. I want a wife. I want a job. I want fill in the blank. You, You maybe know already. Here's the good and wonderful news. Jesus asks us to ask. He knows. He cares. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to him to ask. We actually come as we are with the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. He receives all of it. Because Jesus stopped to hear the cry of two blind, poor beggars. He will hear you. And Jesus is here this morning, and this is an opportunity to stop and recognize all that he's done for us at the cross, but also in faith to ask him to touch us in our place of need. I'm going to invite the worship team. Come on up here. We're going to sing in just a few moments, but I'll invite you to, in a bit, we're going to, as I said, celebrate the Lord's Supper together, this great participation in this work of the Son of David, the the Son of David who came as the Messiah and Savior of the world, who died for our sins. We'll invite you to take a a piece of cracker, rice cracker, and a bit of juice, and we'll do this to remember our dear Lord, the Son of David. And I'll invite those of you who want to, to go for prayer today. And we're going to invite the, the prayer team, those who are praying, our elders and our prayer team, would you go now and line yourselves up against the back there. And I see a couple of you back there that aren't on the prayer team. You, you should probably move. Uh, or you're enlisted in our prayer team. That's probably a good thing. But I'll invite our elders and prayer team to go on up there. And uh, I would invite you to ask not for a thimble full of God's grace. Ask for a fountain full of God's grace. Last week I... Uh, I shared that scripture from James that that says you have not because you ask not because you ask with the wrong motives. Uh, Angel has often reminded me because sometimes she just asks and prays bigger prayers than I'm willing to pray. And she says you have not because you ask not. She leaves off the the last bit. You just don't receive because you don't ask. And, And I'm wondering this morning whether some of you just need to, you know, have a little bit of courage and go up to somebody and say, I would really like for Jesus to do this. Anything we ask of Jesus, we hold humbly. He can answer it in a moment. Or he can answer it over a lifetime. He might answer it after you're dead and gone. But he promises to answer, and he knows our best, and we trust that he is good. So we ask, putting our lives in his hands and inviting him to move and fill us with his grace. I want to say this. Shortly after, these two men uh, have this encounter with Jesus on a dreary afternoon. The eternal Son of David stood still long enough for them to crucify him. The Bible tells us that every sin you have ever committed 
and every sin you will ever commit was nailed to that cross with him. In Jesus, we find forgiveness. We find love like we never dreamed of. And we find mercy and grace. Let me ask you his question again. What do you want me to do for you? Again, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up. We, we typically come up these two aisles, the two center aisles, and exit back to our seats through the side or the middle. Um, you can take your bread and your, your cup back to your seat and have it whenever you would like. That's, that's on your time. Uh, some of you need to go just straight to the back and receive prayer, and once they're finished praying, just stand and wait, and there'll be someone available to pray with you. But I um, want to encourage you, uh, for those who aren't going for prayer, why not use this time as the worship team sings? We're just going to actually use this time to pray together and pray that God would meet our lives and, and uh, have an encounter with him where we're sitting in this space. Does it sound okay? Yeah? All right. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite, again, servers. Sorry, we have servers. Come on up there. I forgot to deploy you. And then quickly follow them. Come on up and, and receive uh, the bread and the cup together.